I'd like you to picture a world where everyone actually gets exactly what they deserve, where good people have good things and people that cause trouble have trouble, a world that is guided by one simple principle, justice. You get what you deserve. Now add a religion where a degree of someone's suffering indicates the measure of their guilt in the eyes of God. What you actually have is the world of Jesus' day, a world in which the rabbis had developed a philosophy that said, in fact, a just God does give you exactly what you deserve in this life, let alone your opinion about the life to come, which was quite diverse among the Jewish people. There were actually those that believed there was no resurrection. They were called the Sadducees. You only hear them a a few times in the Bible. The Pharisees are the more uh, dominant. My dad used to teach me to know the difference by remembering that the Sadducees did not believe in a resurrection, so they were sad, you see. That was my little mnemonic. A common phrase taught by the rabbis of Jesus' day was this, no death without sin, no suffering without iniquity. It's why those born with handicaps and illnesses and those that experienced hardships were treated so harshly by that culture, objects of people's judgment, because they believed they were objects of God's judgment. No death without sin, no suffering without iniquity. Those rabbis would encourage young men to come after them because they had the path that would allow a just God to bless those who would follow them. The common term was to take his yoke, take his burden, just like an ox would take the yoke of his master and he would be trained and then he would take the burden. There was a life, there was a set of obligations that the religious leaders of the day said, this is the path, follow me, and I will guide you into it. It was into that culture, that idea of life and those religious notions that Jesus came and invited people to follow him as their rabbi. But his message was completely other than the ideas of his day. When Jesus says to his followers, take my yoke upon you, Jesus was using the direct language of the rabbis to say, you come after me, but there's a difference. You follow me, this yoke is easy. This burden is light. God sent his son into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. The religion of the day said, you get the life that you deserve. They called it justice. Rabbi Jesus came and said, God is willing to not give you what you really deserved. And he called that grace. Every religion is based on, if I aspire to these standards, to these activities, I will experience good. That notion falls short in the face of reality. Religion is never the answer. Christianity is the anti-religion. It's the solution to the dilemma that religion creates because ultimately bad things do happen to good people. The religious leaders of the day fought against Jesus because he came directly against their notion of proper religion. When Jesus came and spoke peace and he spoke grace, you see this distinction No more clearly 
than in how Jesus dealt with those who were invalid, sick, dying, handicapped, because they were seen as the greatest objects of God's judgment. So to see not only what Jesus does, but how he does it is a very important thing for us to pay attention to. Today we're going to be in Mark chapter 7. This is the story of the healing of the deaf mute. You have to remember that the writers of the gospel are not just telling stories. And the primary character in their writing is not the person that received the miracle. As important as that is, and as much as you and I want to identify ourselves with those people, the gospel writers are writing specifically to give us a portrait of Jesus. Typically, there are three things they want us to understand each time we come to a miracle. The first is a validation of who Jesus was. He had authority over all of creation that indicates that he was exactly who he claimed to be, not only the Christ, but God among us, Emmanuel, God with us, a validation of who he was. Second, it is meant to be a demonstration of the good news. The mere fact that Jesus engages with the sick in a way that sees hope and brings healing stresses the significant difference between the ideas of religion and justice and the hope and the path to life that Jesus came to reveal. So it demonstrates the gospel of grace. And of course, the third thing is to help us see the incredible change that Jesus brings into lives and to aspire for that very change in our own lives. So with those things in mind, can I ask you to read this passage with me? Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon down to the Sea of Galilee into the region of the Decapolis, which means the ten cities. There some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged him to place his hand on the man. After he took him aside away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears, and then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven, and with a deep sigh, he said to him, Ephatha, which means be opened. At this, the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone, but the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. As we come into this, I'm going to talk about how Jesus touched people, not just what he did, but how he did it, because this is a beautiful picture of it. But before we do, I just want to comment on that simple phrase at the beginning, that they brought to Jesus a man who had been born deaf. We're getting used to this idea now, because with each story, we're, we're seeing that somebody brought someone to Jesus. But I want you to understand that in that culture, just the very thought to bring this deaf person to Jesus for healing was a radical concept. 400 silent years before Christ came, no more revelation, no more prophets, no more miracles. And so this idea that became entrenched in their thinking that these people are just an act of God's judgment, there's nothing we can do for them. But now Jesus presents a new possibility. Think about that. See, that's what I think Jesus brings to every situation. I'm thinking about the fire pit that Dan talked about. A group of men, some of whom have never sat around and had a serious conversation about God. I had a privilege of being there for one of those fire pit gatherings. And he's right. We got the wine of the day and several varieties of beer and stogies around the fire pit. 
and the presence of the Holy Spirit as men open up and begin talking about God. Very powerful. When Jesus comes into the equation, the possibilities change. Let's now go through and look at this. And I want to suggest four things um, that are part of how Jesus treated this deaf man. We see in verse 33, first what did he do? He took him aside away from the crowd. I'm going to call that affirmation. Deaf people in particular were a target for ridicule and prejudice in the whole ancient world. The Roman law referred to deaf people as mentecati furiosi, loosely translated, raving lunatics. Plato suggested that people like that be left to die, that the country go as far as to put them to death. They were often diagnosed as being people with serious mental failures, diminished capacity. The Roman law taught that deaf people were not educable. Imagine yourself being a deaf person in this culture and then having someone show you enough value not to use you as a demonstration in front of a crowd, but to take you apart and invest personally in you. See, it's the personal value that Jesus saw in this man. Perhaps Jesus saw a lifetime of not being valued by anyone. And he took him aside, away from the crowd. You're important enough to me that I personally care about you. Jesus does call us to himself, call us to a people. It is both epic and grand, but also very personal and intimate. Jesus cares for each of us. So the first thing I see is affirmation. The second is intimacy. Let's read on. He took him aside away from the crowd. He put his fingers in the man's ears, touches his own tongue, and then he touches the man's tongue. Intimacy, to say, you matter so much that I'm comfortable being in your space, touching you. You know, I think of what the incarnation really was about. Emmanuel, God with us, God with skin. Not just so that we could see him, And not so that we could touch him, but so that he could touch us, make contact with us, say you matter. Affection changes completely the idea of a God of justice who stands apart and pronounces judgment from a high throne. No, this God puts on skin, steps down into our world, makes eye contact with us, and cares enough to reach out and touch us when other people would consider us untouchable. First thing he does is affirm, and then he gives intimacy. The third thing, which might be missed here, is identification. He identifies with this man. He enters into the man's world and communicates on his terms. You know, a lot of uh, religious people have tried to take how Jesus went about healing and turn it into a formula. So it's not uncommon to find a faith healer who will do, Mark, if you'll allow me, who will do, you know, this and, you know, and this. Why? Because that's what Jesus did, right? So if I'm going to heal you, I'm going to, like, perform all the, anything happened, by the way? <laughs> you know, that's, that's the secret. But that's not what Jesus is doing here, I don't think. He takes them apart so they alone are focused. And what does he do? He communicates with that deaf man. 
He touches the ears that don't hear, touches the mouth that doesn't speak. says, that's what I care about right now. He looks up to heaven to suggest, I'm going to ask the Father something. And, I love this, he breathes a sigh. Don't you see what he's doing? He's communicating to him. Where words fail, Jesus is communicating his love and care and his intent. He enters into that man's world just like he entered into our world. It's incarnational what he does. He shows his understanding of the weight of this man, the sigh, as though to say, I'm with you. I understand what this has meant to you. Identification. And then fourth, healing. Having taken the man apart, expressed affirmation, having established an intimate relationship with him, having communicated his intent and his emotional empathy with him, he says these words, ephatha, which means be opened. And Scripture says his ears were open and his mouth was loosened and he was able to speak. That's beautiful when you look at it that way. You know, we look for formula. We take these things for granted because we've heard them so often and we've seen them mimicked by supposed faith healers who suggest that there's a, a way to go about it that's formulaic. That's not what Jesus was doing here. Jesus was reaching out in love. Jesus was being the God of grace to this man. See, it was miraculous. What is it that Mark wants us to know about Jesus as a result of this story? Remember, that's why he's writing. What is it about Jesus that he's trying to help us understand in this beautiful story? I think it's found in the response of the crowd. Let's look at it in verse 36. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone, but the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. You know, I have to admit, I have no idea why there are times when Jesus says, don't tell anybody, because it never works. I, I don't think he's manipulating. I, I, I really don't get that. People will suggest different reasons why. I don't know. Of course, the point is, when your life has changed, you can't help but talk about it. And the more he said, please don't tell anybody, the more they talk. But what matters here is actually their response. Here we go, verse 37. People were overwhelmed with amazement. Now, watch what they say. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Now, put that phrase in the culture that we've described to you and understand how marvelous that is. That even the deaf and the mute, people that we wrote off completely as abnormal, unsavable, under God's judgment, he even brings them into life. That's amazing. But the most important thing for us to see is the word that is translated well. He does everything well. The Greek word is kalos. And what it means, this is really important, it means something done with beauty and grace. A thing that when done is lovely to behold. This is really what I want you to picture because I think it's what Mark wants you to picture. Whatever Jesus did, he did it in a way that was beautiful. It was lovely. They're stepping back, and they're not just marveling at the miracles. They're marveling at how he does it. He does it so beautifully. That's the Jesus that Mark wants you to understand and to see. Jesus did everything with power, grace, and beauty. 
So that's the crowd's response. And so because of that, I just want to simply suggest uh, two responses for us. What, what should our response be? What, what is it that I think Mark wants us to recognize as we read this? And the first thing I want to say is I, I think our response ought to be, first of all, to remember how beautifully Jesus worked in our own life. The work Jesus has done and he's still doing. That Christ in you is a beautiful thing. That grace, the transformation is wonderful. He's doing it well. And then second, I think we need to remind ourselves that because of that, we can trust our friends with this Jesus. What I'm trying to get at in this series, and I think it's so important for us if we're going to be what we aspire to be, which is a place where lives are touched, is to break that barrier between rejoicing in our Jesus and what he's done for us, and whatever it is that keeps us from thinking that he can do that in our friends' lives, that he can and wants to do that in their life. We probably could have a pretty open conversation about the way society has portrayed Christianity that intimidates us when we try to mention the name of Jesus. Maybe we could talk about people within our supposed Christian ranks that have acted in ways that embarrass us and presented Jesus as anything but the one that we want to. And maybe those or other reasons are for you just cause just to keep your mouth shut and to live Jesus instead of sharing him and bringing others into his presence. But what I think ought to happen instead is that we should be all the more committed to showing the real Jesus, to trusting that when they come and encounter the living Christ, who is not a religion, is not just a new set of standards by which we are to be judged. Because in the end, there are no standards that any of us can live up to. It's why there's grace. That when they encounter the true Christ, that what he will do in their life is a beautiful thing. When God does it, when Christ does it, he does it well. That's what we want to see happen, not only in our lives. We want to see it happen in the lives of your neighbors, your friends, the neighborhoods around us, this city. That's what we long for. It's that picture of who Jesus is that inspires us and frees us to reach out with others. See, it's the real Christ that compels us. And in the Gospels, it's the love of Christ that compels us. Not just because we love as he loved, but we know that he is loving. And when people encounter him, he will treat them beautifully and with grace. That's all I can do from here. Just put it out there. It's really up for us to do the rest together, to reach out and to bring people to Christ. So let's take a a moment and pray together. I think what I'd like to focus on as we pray is what is it that God needs to do in you that will break you out of the resistance, the fear, the safety, and really enable you to reach out with his love? What change has to happen in you And just ask God to do that change. Father, I just offer myself to you afresh today, and we offer ourselves to you to do a work in us, Father. Fill us with a passion and gratitude for the beautiful work of grace we've experienced. And from that, Father, move us out to bring others to experience that. 
We want to be used by you. Can't just love God. Need to love our neighbor. One and the same. Move us into that, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.